Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter. We're looking at Joshua chapter 18 today. And this is an interesting chapter here, a little bit of a transition. We've already looked at the apportionments for Judah in the south and Joseph in the north, these big uh, masses, really, these backbones of the south and the north, right? And now we're turning to everybody else today. And as we do so, we finally hear this mention of, there it is, the tent of meeting, which of course would include the Ark of the Covenant. So here it is at Shiloh. Now, what's the significance of Shiloh? We haven't heard about Shiloh before. Here we finally have this mention of the tent of meeting, this solemn assembly. This seems to be this moment that it's like uh, something out of Numbers or something out of Leviticus. Here's the dwelling place of God. So what's the significance here? It's not like we're just going to, okay, here we go with the rest of the tribes. There seems to be more going on here. But uh, when we do turn to the tribes, it comes up for Benjamin next. And so what's going on here with Benjamin? Who is Benjamin again? There seems to be some kind of a logic with him coming up between Judah and Joseph. There seem to be, as we've seen so far, so many allusions back to the stories of Genesis and Exodus and all of those things going back to what happened way back when, when their ancestors were on the scene. So lots of things going on today. Very excited, too, that we have returning for us. We've got Pastor Doug Nicely, pastor of Jerusalem Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois, in the studio. Thank you so much for making it out to the studio, brother. So good to have you back. It's good to be with you, Pastor AJ, and uh, we're very happy to be able to walk through this uh, interesting chapter in uh, Joshua chapter 18. I uh, got some imp- interest, uh, some uh, surprise stuff at the end of the chapter, too. Oh, very good. Very good. Yeah, there's there's a really, I mean, it's really interesting. It's kind of a couple different things. The first half of the chapter um, is not about Benjamin really, really at all. It's it's the narrative just kind of actually picks up and continues the, the story mm-hmm. again, right? Right. So it's, it's really cool to see the story moving on again. But then, right, when you actually go through the description for Benjamin, usually if you pull out, you know, if you pull out everybody, your maps, right, in, in the Bible, uh, you know, in the back or in the front or something like that, you'll see Benjamin. And Benjamin is is kind of really small when you're looking at it. It's kind of like sandwiched there um, in between Ephraim and Judah. But there's a lot of time spent dedicated to describing the borders of Benjamin. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like, well, why, why are we going into so much detail for this like kind of itty bitty you know, like, uh, you know, extension or something like that. Like it's just Judah's porch or something. Uh, but there's there's some really special significance with Benjamin that we're going to come to see, I think. Right. And uh, yeah. the inside the inside of the sandwich is barbecue. It's really good stuff. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, being sandwiched in between. That's not that's not always the bad place to be, right? Right. So very, very good stuff. Good to have you with us. All right. Well, let's go ahead and turn to the text. As we do so, would you say a prayer for us and for everyone listening along today? Lord, we thank you for this time that we can uh, spend in your word as it continues to speak to us. Help us to understand that uh, some of the problems we have in our world, especially having to do with um, the the places where we live and the territory around us and uh, the past and looking to the future and all the rest of those things are all in your hands. Help us to acknowledge that and may this chapter teach us some important lessons about what your hands can do to lead and direct us. 
step by step. We pray in Jesus, the Savior's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Yes, step step by step. There's a journey that they were on, and we're, we're on one too. So mm-hmm. let's go ahead and read just the first verse, and then if you would, try to help us uh, kind of contextualize this for us here. Like, like we were saying, the narrative just kind of picks up um, kind of all of a sudden. So let's read the first verse and kind of then ask, okay, so uh, how is this really linking up with all this stuff from before? Like we said, all the stuff about Judah and, and um, Joseph, uh, and then setting us up for what's to follow. So here's just chapter 18, just the first verse here. Then the whole congregation of the people of Israel assembled at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The land laid subdued before them. Some interesting okay. things. This is the first time that the city of Shiloh is mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we get a little bit of more information about Shiloh a little bit later on in Judges. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Judges 21, verse 19, we're told that uh, there were several times during the year when the people assembled together for festivals. Mm-hmm. So for those of us who are used to the later history of, of Israel in um, Jerusalem, will understand what this tabernacle thing is all about. And it was, it was in Exodus uh, originally that mm-hmm. uh, the Lord set uh, to have these uh, festivals every year at various times. Uh, and uh, the idea behind that uh, would be centered in the tabernacle. Apparently, the tabernacle has moved. Mm-hmm. Um, they they started out um, in Gibeah, which was pretty close to the Jordan River, and now mm-hmm. they're a little bit further to the west, a little bit closer to the center of the land. And uh, right. so Shiloh may have some significance there. But obviously, right. they are worshiping the Lord here. Right, right, right. Yes, right. And so that's it's um that's yeah. Thank you for helping us kind of contextualize that. You know, we we think of course as you were saying in the in the in the later history, right? There's going to be a lot of you know we saw this in um, Isaiah, right? right? That there's a lot of criticism for all of these worship places that are going on outside of Jerusalem, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. later we're actually going to have the temple. Right, which is going to be kind of the, the permanent manifestation, the built manifestation of the tabernacle um, that represents uh, the the worship center of all of Israel. That worships uh, that represents orthodoxy, right, and and not right. mixing any of um, the religion with like the other religions, right. Mm-hmm. So w- later, it's going to be like, hang on, what you doing? You know, setting up these these altars and all these other places, right? Um, so we we might like raise an eyebrow even at Shiloh in, in the later history. But as you were saying at this time, though, this is where the, the Ark of the Covenant, this is where the tabernacle rightly is. It seems like they have moved on from where they initially crossed uh, the Jordan near near Jericho, and now they've gone up um, to this city. And, uh, yeah, so so uh, where would this city be? I, so they said it was like in the, in the center of the, of the, uh, of the tribes? Okay, from some notes I I was able to glean from the internet, sometimes the internet is helpful. (laughs) Uh, Shiloh is identified with the modern Ceylon, now a ruined site uh, on a hill nine miles north of Bethel and three miles southeast of El Luban. Uh, The 
location of Shiloh, as I mentioned, is is described in Judges 21 kind of briefly. But in Judges 21, it, it seems to have been the place where they came for uh, regular sacrifices and uh, regular worship, such as, um, such as, uh, well, uh, Passover and and quite a few right. of the other ones that were that was where they were doing it in those days. Right, and, and so what's what's interesting then also is that this would be then. I mean, at least as far as most of the maps that that we have, how they kind of reconstruct these things and sketch them out, mm-hmm. this would have been a city then in Ephraim. Yes, which is which is noteworthy for I mean several reasons, right? I mean, we we talked about it last time. How I mean, we we, we had this idea of Ephraim, and, and, and you know, kind of Joseph as a whole representing the authority of God and mm-hmm. um, even pointing ahead and foreshadowing the Messiah. Of course, this was the tribe of Joshua, who is functioning as the leader, who has the same name as our Lord Jesus Christ, yes. who's uh, prefiguring him. So in a lot of ways, this just makes a lot of sense. I mean, this is the city, you know, of of, of Joshua. I mean, really, you know, at least it's one of the cities that kind of belongs to his tribe. And mm-hmm. so you, you do have that, right? We don't have David yet. We don't. We don't have a... David hasn't come, so there is no David's royal city in Jerusalem. So this is sort of like functioning as the the Jerusalem of the Messiah, so to speak, kind of mm-hmm. before we have a Jerusalem and a, and a Messiah properly yet. Yes, and um, and and so Shiloh becomes this place, and uh, some other notes I have here that it remains the place where uh, the temple is located for three hundred years. Uh, yeah. Shiloh is mentioned uh, during the time of Eli in First yep. Samuel chapter one. So it apparently is a very important place for right. this type of worship, and, yep. uh, right. and and the word Shiloh, if we translate from Hebrew to English, usually I don't do that that often, but every once in a while I like to, like to impress people with a couple <laughs> of words that I know it means peace. Yeah. Okay. Right. 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 Yeah. So I mean, it does seem to be. Um, there's kind of like an overlap there. You think of like Shalom and then mm-hmm. uh, Shiloh. There's a similarity there. Mm-hmm. It, it is interesting. I, d- I did take a peek at the uh, at some of the notes and like in the dictionaries, and it, it does seem like it's one of these names that people really scratch their heads at. Because as as you said, like um, there does seem to be kind of an overlap with peace, like in the Septuagint. Yeah. That's I think where we get the. The, uh, the the Salome, which kind of looks more like, you know, Shalom piece. But right. but it's also, uh, it kind of looks like a couple other things, right? Like that this uh, maybe kind of resembles a word that kind of means something like a, like authority or, or, or tribute or, and, and in fact, this is a, it, there's like a whole thing that, you know, we don't need to get into today, but mm-hmm. we, we've mentioned it a couple of times, but back in Genesis chapter 49, you know, we, we had this blessing that Jacob gave his sons. And there's this really interesting moment where Jacob, um, in his blessing to uh, Judah, he says here is is in verse 10 of 49, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And and, and the screwy thing that makes uh, the scholars debate things, right, mm-hmm. is that that word there that's translated tribute there in our in our ESV um, in verse 10. So and if you're just reading Hebrew, it just says there, Ki yawo shilo, 
<laughs> and Which... so, and so people are like, hang on a second. Is it what's going on? Is this trying to say that like kind of Judah was like kind of the leader while they were marching through the wilderness until Joshua comes along at Shiloh? Or is this maybe the other way around that like Joshua named the city this because he was thinking of this messianic prophecy? So there's anyway, we don't have to try to decide that debate today, but no. it's interesting to see that there's uh there's there's a lot of connections going on with this place, as you were saying. It, it is very it was very important for a long time. Yes. And, uh, and and that was obviously where all of those practices, those temple worship practices were established. Yes. Yes, right. Well, okay. So, there's there's the first verse. Um let's see. There's maybe like one other thing that we should note before mm-hmm. we we press on here. So, okay, the the whole congregation, right? This is we we've seen that before in numbers. That's kind of a the technical term for like the whole assembly, the whole people, right? I mean, this is sort of like, this is kind of the way that that you refer to the people of God as as like the church, almost, mm-hmm. the assembly, right? Yes. In, in this BC context, right? And so here they all are, right? You know, and they, they have the tent of meeting, right? As you're saying, this, this is how they would do festivals and everything else for hundreds of years. And then it says, the land lay subdued before them. What do you think the significance here? Is this this comment? It, it almost feels like a like a kind of a side comment, right? But um, I mean, it, it's it, it seems conspicuously important if it's going to be following this mention of the assembly at Shiloh. Well, it was interesting about that comment. Uh, once once again, if you go to the chapter before, that gives you a little bit of context. The issue uh, that we have left over with uh, the people from the tribe of Ephraim. Uh, right. was that they uh, wanted to hang around in the hill country because uh-huh. they were afraid of the people in the plains. Well, yeah, one of the right. problems with that was that they had all this cattle and uh, they didn't have a space in the hill country to be able to settle them. Uh, mm-hmm. Joshua suggested in, in chapter 17 uh, that what they do is they clear away the trees and then they'd have enough room. Mm-hmm. Uh, but apparently that wasn't the answer. And so we, we come to Shiloh seeking an answer from the Lord as opposed to the answer that they conjured up. And uh, as I mentioned years and years ago on one of our radio broadcasts, um, Joshua is considered to be a a very noble man, but he had a problem. And the problem was that by the time that his, uh, his life was finished, he had not conquered the land. He had not uh, uprooted the Canaanite tribes, and that would continually be a problem for the nation of Israel. Right. So the land was subdued, yeah, to the extent that it was there, I guess. Yes. Well, yes, exactly right. (laughs) So we shouldn't take this to mean like, you know, know, and and everything was hunky-dory and none of the enemies were left. Like, well, that's not, not quite, you know, it was kind of mostly subdued and and uh yeah thank you you know this uh the, the kind of problem is you were mentioning about joshua and we saw this it was back in um you know where i mean where was it it was uh i mean it was early, in an earlier chapter mm-hmm. where where god speaks to joshua and and he's like you know what uh you're kind of old at this point this was yeah back in chapter 13 yeah <laughs> you're you're old and advanced in years right uh, but there's a lot of land like you know basically you're not going to be able to finish the do- the job you know, I mean, you've, you've mm-hmm. done well so far, but, uh, you're so right. Setting us up for judges. The, uh, the thing that I was, I was connecting the dots to it, it's, uh, it's something I, I read in one of these commentaries, 
uh, I, I had not thought about it, but the word here for uh, subdued, mm-hmm. uh, the word uh, that you have there, the land lay subdued, right? Is the same word or the same root anyway, that you have in Genesis chapter one, where God is a part of this, you know, um, like kind of like first commandment <laughs> to humanity, right? Mm-hmm. It says, you know, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Right. I mean, and of course, like earth, you know, is this, this land word, right? So it's interesting because it, it feels like we are going back to Genesis and like yes. Genesis there, there, there was the presence of God, right. You know, hovering over the waters. Right. Um, and here he was saying, Hey, go subdue the land. And now here he is, they've got, they've got to Shiloh to meet God, the presence of God, right. You know, hovering there mm-hmm. in the tabernacle. Right. And the land was subdued right? Like he commanded. So there, there seems to be this idea that, okay, well, you know, we're going to have to wait for the full fulfillment, right? We were just saying it's not totally fulfilled, but there seems to be a partial fulfillment of God's designs for creation. Yes. And I can think, Pastor AJ, that, you know, they're, they're on top of this hill because they're, they're on top of hills everywhere they go because they don't want to go into the plain. Uh, right. And, and they look down, uh, and, uh, and and just uh, just like with the story of of Abraham and his nephew Lot, they saw all of this land in front of them, and it looked beautiful, and it looked like the 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 best place for breeding. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I could see subdued in that sense. It's ready. Right, right. That's right. Right. They're looking out and they're so, seeing the the goodness that God has given right. to them. Right. Right. All right. Well, I think okay. There is verse one. Mm-hmm. A lot. It's just just the first verse, but there's there's so much going on with this transition here. And let's go ahead now and read the second paragraph here that the the ESV has for us here, through verse seven. So this is then setting up the the situation and, and everything that's going to follow for a few chapters. So picking it up at verse two now of Joshua eighteen. There remained among the people of Israel seven tribes whose inheritance had not yet been apportioned. So Joshua said to the people of Israel, How long will you put off going in to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? Provide three men from each tribe, and I will send them out that they may set out and go up and down the land. They shall write a description of it with a view to their inheritances, and then come to me. They shall divide it into seven portions. Judah shall continue in his territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall continue in their territory on the north. And you shall describe the land in seven divisions and bring the description here to me, and I will cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. The Levites have no portion among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their heritage, and Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan eastward, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave them. Okay. Yes. So really, really interesting. This is this is very helpful sketching out the situation for us here. It's uh it it's uh this I can't help but smile because this is one of these things that reminds me of like when mom says, like, okay, um here's like you know, like brother and sister are like, you know, can't decide on how to split the sandwich. And so mom says, Look, um, you know, brother's gonna cut the sandwich, but then sister gets to pick which one she wants, right? So it's like a, so Joshua's like, Okay, you go out here. And you guys decide what's a fair way of splitting this up seven ways. 
because then we're going to like just cast lots and you know, where, where they fall that where they fall. Right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're, we're splitting, we're splitting it up the rest of the, the rest of the promised land, these seven pieces here. And there are seven tribes uh, who have not been assigned land yet. And obviously, when they look down the hill and see the land laid subdued before them, there's plenty of land that's available. And and so that's that's part of what Joshua is doing. Once again, the comments I, I downloaded said Joshua is rebuking the people who are not having gone to possess the land that, that was well-deserved. It would have required yeah. a drastic change in lifestyle for the people uh, for them to do so. And the natural inertia of people prevented them from this happening. Beside that, the people would no longer dwell in a single camp as previously. But each would have to work for its own supplies and protection. Too long, we might say, they had been letting God look after them. And now uh, that the time had come for them to take care of themselves, they were very slow and reluctant to do so. Good insight. Right, right. You know, that, that, that's right. There is, um, it, it's it's kind of interesting too, because we, we might just assume, right, that it's like, well, you know, they just, they just, they're, they're going bit by bit and they just haven't, you know, gotten around to it yet. You know, it's like they can only conquer so many peoples at a time. Mm-hmm. But, but Joshua does seem to be rebuking them like, hey guys, like, you know, we it's been five years, right? We, we should have been able to do this by now. Why are you and it's, I I, uh, I chuckled because I looked at the uh, Concordia commentary um, uh, that we have on Joshua, mm-hmm. and in verse three of the Concordia commentary, the translation, this like I said, made me chuckle. Joshua said to the sons of Israel, "How long will you be slackers about going to take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given to you? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, how long are you going to be slackers, guys? Like, come on, like chop chop, let's let's do this thing, right? So there does seem to be this this rebuke that." come on, like we, we need to do this already. Um, the only reason why you don't have the land entirely in your possession, um, is because like you were saying, there's been this reluctance and this, in this fear, right. You were saying like, they were like, a, they were scared to go out onto the right. plains where, where the Canaanites and the chariots were. Right. right. So there, there is a, re- a real rebuke here. And, um, so Joshua was concerned about it. It's interesting that, um, Joshua is the one who's saying this. Of course, he's the Lord's prophet at this point. Right, right. Um, and, and so uh, he, they, they hear the word of the Lord from him. Uh, but uh, just, just the one observation inside of that paragraph that I read is kind of interesting, that they were used to being in one camp. Yeah. And they got, and they got comfortable with that. They liked to be up in the hills because right. the hills were safe. Mm-hmm. And uh, they could build cities and uh, have walls around them and make sure that none of these uh, people who were alien to them could uh, could attack them. Now we know from First and Second Samuel that if they really wanted to, um, uh, in First and Second Kings, the enemies could uh, could take care of their walls and mm-hmm. uh, and destroy them. But right now they felt comfortable living in cities despite the fact that they were agricultural people. Right. Right. Yeah, no, no, you're right. There, this represents a really big change just in, in the lifestyle and how we're going to do things. This is a really big shift from, you know, the kind of pastoral nomadic life that we mm-hmm. had going on in Exodus and Numbers, right, to to now this situation. And then, you know, what's going to happen you know, later once we actually kind of fully or you know, more or less fully settle down into the, the kingdom stage of things once uh, once Saul 
and David come onto the scene. So yeah, big, big moment here in the transition and the history of God's people. I, I want to ask a question here about, okay, now, why is it that Judah and Joseph got to inherit first before everyone else? And everyone else has to cast lots, right? But not Judah and Joseph. But we got to take our break here. So uh, okay. we'll hang on to that question and talk about that when we get back. But hang on, looking at Joshua chapter 18 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. Tuesday, February 10th, 2020, KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsor, Mary Schultz of St. Louis, Missouri. Mary made a gift to KFUO Radio in loving memory of her husband, Reverend Donald Schultz, on the 19th anniversary of his entrance into our heavenly kingdom. During his life of service to our Lord, he lived his confirmation verse, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. Thank you, Mary Schultz, for being today's KFUO Day Sponsor. This week on Issues Etc., we'll have Pastor Brian Wolfmiller introduce us to the book of Colossians. We'll continue our series, A Lutheran Response to Post-Christian Culture, talking with Dr. Jean Edward Veith about the body, and we'll discuss raising strong daughters in a toxic culture with Dr. Meg Meeker. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson. You know, life is a potpourri of good experiences and really tough challenges. Through all those times you need, and so do I, the Lord's precious word and sacred music to get you through. That's what you get when you tune in to Moments of Assurance, Christ-centered songs, scripture, news items, trivia, humor, you name it. So tune in, you'll be richer for it. Over the noontime hour here on Worldwide KFUO. Moments of Assurance is underwritten by Mid-American Coaches. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Joshua chapter 18 today, this really interesting moment where finally here comes the tabernacle. It's being set up. The solemn assembly is there in the tribe of Joshua Ephraim there at Shiloh, a place that will be uh, this worship center of the life of the whole people of Israel for hundreds of years, as we were saying. So really big moment here when all of this happens, so many uh, prophecies and different legacies and lineages all are intersecting here at this moment in Shiloh, and we're about to have this inheritance, the inheritance of all the rest of the tribes. So we're going to see, finally, all the blanks on the map are going to get filled in here. And we asked before the break, now hang on a second, though. <laughs> Why did Judah, right, and Joseph kind of like get seated here in this draft, right? Like, why did they get to just kind of automatically get the the big chunks in the north and the south, whereas everyone else gets these smaller little pieces, right? So uh, returning to that question in just a second, going to hear more from our guest today, Pastor Doug Nicely, pastor of Jerusalem Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois, here today with us in the studio. 
I want to make sure to invite all of our live listeners. If you have a question for me or for Pastor Nicely, you can give us a call at 1-800-730-2727. Or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. And of course, speaking of the internet, you should really check out our underwriters website, lhfmissions.org. That is of the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Our underwriters, thank you guys for your support. So turning, yes, back to this question here. So why is it that, you know, it's only like Gad and, you know, or not Gad really, but um, Dan and Asher and Simeon and Naftali, right? Why is it that these guys have to split everything up like the leftovers and Judah and Joseph got these like nice big inheritances in the North and the South uh, before this um, casting of lots phase. I think this goes back to Genesis and it goes back to the blessing of the uh, 12 tribes of Israel by uh, Joseph, not Joseph, uh, Joshua, uh, not Joshua, Jacob, 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 that's the one other name name, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's the one, the, the dad of, uh, of all these kids. And, right. uh, and, and, and you can see in, in the blessings themselves, uh, Ephraim was one of Joseph's children mm-hmm. and, um, he was actually the second child. And this is a principle that seemed to go throughout Genesis that the firstborn wasn't necessarily the, the blessed one. Uh, that was true for um, for the for the children of uh, of Abraham and and Isaac, and it goes on and on. And so um, Ephraim becomes the one who is blessed uh, rather than Manasseh. And so he right. continues to be the 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 primary descendant of Joseph. Uh, and remember, yes. Joseph was the one who was responsible for saving the tribe of Israel in Egypt mm-hmm. and then bringing them back to uh, the promised land again. Um, right. And then and then uh, it's interesting to take a look at that blessing, as the 12 mm-hmm. are mentioned, and what is said about Judah. And there is mm-hmm. a messianic, uh, you know, granted we're reading this from the New, New Testament perspective, but there right. is a messianic promise attached uh, and a um, and a uh, monarchy promise attached to the mm-hmm. descendants of Judah. Right, right. That was that bit that we were just looking at when we were talking about that connection to to Shiloh, right? About the yes. ruler's scepter not departing from him uh, until well, you, you know. And then there's that kind of message where it's right. like you know it was like Kiawo Shiloh, whatever exactly that means. But but right, it seems like that we can't get away from that Genesis 49 blessing of Jacob to his 12 sons, this blessing is just, I mean, clearly it was not just Jacob, the man being like, this is kind of, you know, my will, but you know, God really was blessing the tribes. Cause it seems like whatever Jacob said in that blessing seems to, to come true. And you know, you, scholars can debate sometimes about some of the things like, now hang on a second. Like, why does it say that Zebulun, you know, is, is by the sea he's landlocked and like, well, I, I don't actually think it was right. But so, you know, you can, you can debate that stuff, but it seems like, you know, all these blessings come true as you were saying. So the promises get fulfilled and, um, and you see a few of those, more of those in Deuteronomy 33, Moses blesses the people. And we're going to see in just a minute that it seems like Moses, his blessing comes true, not because it's Moses, but because it's God um, blessing the people through them. So, yeah, we see lots of this stuff. This is kind of everything is unfolded um, as it as it was supposed to, according to God's plan. And and um, the one big thing 
that struck me, as you were saying, there's this idea of the birth order, right? Because we, we saw that in a big way in the last chapter, uh, the last two chapters with Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim was the secondborn. Mm-hmm. Manasseh was the firstborn. Yet it's Ephraim, right? The secondborn who, who gets kind of the, the premier blessing between the two of them. This, this seat of authority, the the most like central place here, right? Where we get Shiloh and Joshua and the rest, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so we saw, just as you were saying earlier, yeah, we, we see this reversal theme in scripture. And yet, uh, despite the kind of uh, reversal of mercy theme that you see all the way from the Old Testament into the New Testament, what's interesting is that it seems like in, in a certain way, uh, Joseph and Judah inheriting these big chunks in the north and the south is actually following the birth order tradition. See, now I think that's an interesting tension that on the one hand you have reversal going on, but on the other hand, God is actually pretty much sticking to the the laws that he has established and like functioning through kind of the ordinary means also. Because when you look, right, uh, back to Genesis, as you were directing our attention, right? Mm-hmm. Like who were uh, Jacob's two wives, right? Not not the maidservants who he also had children by, but his actual wives. Well, Leah and Rachel, mm-hmm. right? And who was Rachel's firstborn? That was Joseph. Joseph. Right. And, and who was Leah's firstborn? Well, that was actually Reuben. Not, but you see not in, the, in, the, in, the, in the chapter, right, that you just directed our attention to, uh, Reuben the firstborn, um, Simeon and Levi the second and thirdborn, they all get cursed, and they forfeit the firstborn right mm-hmm. of Leah, and so then the firstborn of Leah effectively becomes Judah. Chosen. Judah, yeah, and right. Yeah, just one other comment about this this chosen uh, this chosen person thing. It right. doesn't really have anything to do with their virtue or their holiness. In a sermon I preached years ago about Joseph, um, I described him as an arrogant little twit. <laughs> uh, and uh, he, he, he sure did make some make some strife uh, between between his brothers with the things yes. he would say. Right? Yeah. Uh, but but God chooses to uh, to bless who He chooses to bless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, in this case, we can see already, uh, centuries later how this this continues on. Uh, through the ancestors of uh, of Joseph and Judah. You're right. You're right. So even if God doesn't, out of mercy, reverse the blessings, right, and, like, make the secondborn inherit the, the firstborn's blessing, right, even if there isn't a, uh, a merciful reversal, even if God works through kind of the ordinary means of, you know, okay, here's the firstborn blessing, right, as promised, mm-hmm. that's still merciful, right? That's, that's still that's still him being gracious. So, still yes, grace. I mean, e- e- yes, either way, it's him being gracious. But it is interesting to see that you, you see God working in both in both modes here through both the ordinary and the extraordinary. The ordinary, um, yes, the, the firstborn blessing goes on to Judah and Joseph like mm-hmm. like it like it should like you would expect it right yes. but um you also have the reversal with Ephraim and Manasseh but either way as you were saying grace and mercy uh, all the way through so okay so we have this situation now laid out through verse 7 uh, they have been charged these are the instructions go split the rest of this place up seven ways let's get on this let's take possession of it so really quickly, 
just uh, the next three verses here, and then we should actually look at the first tribe that comes up in this sequence, Benjamin, yes. all right? So, but let's look at 11, uh, 8 through 10, rather. So the men arose and went, and Joshua charged those who went to write the description of the land, saying, Go up and down in the land and write a description and return to me, and I will cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went and passed up and down in the land and wrote in a book a description of it by towns in seven divisions. Then they came to Joshua to the camp at Shiloh, and Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua apportioned the land to the people of Israel to each his portion. So big moment here too. And you get this, I think the key phrase is before the Lord here, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously this, this assignment was done very thoroughly. Uh, they were supposed to write a description of the land when they went. Uh, this, this reminds me a little bit of the uh, less than thorough job of taking surveys that was done in, uh, in, in Exodus, that the spies mm. were sent to the land. Right. Yeah. This right. was this was a uh, uh, this was like uh, this was like taking a census of the land right. itself. Yeah. They, they put together maps and and everything. They they were thorough. That, that that's well said. This is not like when Joshua himself, as we keep remembering, was a spy along with Caleb. Mm -hmm. Oh, by the way, that is I think also yet another connection. Right. Who were the two faithful spies? Yeah. Uh, well, they were of the tribes of what Ephraim, Ephraim and right. Judah. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, again, like, it's just like, there's all these, these patterns, right. You know, as to why Joseph and Judah end up inheriting big. Right. But, um, so when he was a spy himself, as you were saying, that was like, kind of get a, get a sense of the lay of the land. Okay. Like, oh, okay. These guys are out in this area. And like, oh, okay. There's, that's a pretty big city over there and there's giants over there. Um, and then they brought back like fruit and stuff like, so they were kind of just getting a sampling of it. Right. I mean, it was mm -hmm. just kind of like, Okay, we're just, as you said, it was less than thorough. It was just kind of getting a, a feel for it. But this, this was like, they go out there, they're like, you know, it's like people with the surveying equipment where they're looking at the angles and stuff because they had to split this up. And when they cast these lots, it's like, okay, look, um, Benjamin, you get lot number one right here, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, and we've like already said exactly what the terms are. So it's going to be really, really fair. It's going to be really precise, um, but then going back to this, it's before the Lord, even though this is, a uh, you know, seemingly random or casting lots, when this happens, not a single lot falls randomly. Mm -hmm. It's all, it's all mapped out exactly the way it was supposed to be for the other seven tribes. Right. It all, it's all according to God's purpose. Uh, the significance of having this big solemn assembly, right? is that they're they're really trying to put their fate into God's hands and he's going to be the one who's saying okay this is how you inherit right like it's not really um up to them which is which is um getting getting the idea right here yeah all right so the first lot goes to Benjamin let's go ahead and read the description here uh maybe let's just read through verse 20 so we won't get to the the cities we'll just try to describe the boundary here uh may maybe we'll break it down just a little bit too so this is uh this is where everybody like listening if you do have a map 
it could be very helpful to go ahead and, and pull it out here to try to um, follow along and just kind of trace this path out as we're looking at it here. So, okay, here, here it is, picking it up at verse 11. The lot of the tribe of the people of Benjamin, according to its clans, came up, and the territory allotted to it fell between the people of Judah and the people of Joseph. On the north side, their boundary began at the Jordan. Then the boundary goes up to the shoulder north of Jericho, then up through the hill country westward, and ends at the wilderness of Beth-Avon. From there... The boundary passes along southward in the direction of Lutz to the shoulder of Lutz, that is Bethel. Then the boundary goes down to Adaroth Adar on the mountain that lies south of lower Beth Horon. Right, I'm just going to pause right there. Okay. A couple of names should sound familiar, but kind of before we get to the names, uh, the, the first you know, of, of like the specific places. I think that the first kind of big thing that we notice is Benjamin, as like, like we're saying, he is the sandwich guy. Like, I mean, he is right between yes. uh, Judah and Joseph, like the two most prominent tribes, right between the two of them, right? So, I mean, I mean what's the significance here? I think there's there's really like a lot of things. I think there's this is this is fulfilling some prophecy even. So, what what are your thoughts? Uh, Benjamin is planted in between these two tribes, these two big tribes. Right. Uh, and it's interesting, uh, the names of the cities, and we won't get to all of them. And and it, and then whenever you're doing things like this, uh, it's kind of like doing the genealogies in First Chronicles. You just kind of <laughs> read it over and go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what you're doing is you're listening for some familiar names. In this case, right. it would be familiar cities. And Bethel uh -huh. is one of them. We'll run into quite a few uh, quite a few of them. It's interesting that Benjamin ends up inheriting a lot of the cities we've already heard about in the story. Yep. Or are yep. about to hear about. And and it's interesting where this uh where this boundary line uh goes and what it does, uh, not just to separate Ephraim from Judah, but also uh, what it is that they inherit. Um we're going to get down to that in a little bit in a few verses, but but it's interesting that um, th some of this territory, which was originally given to Judah, is now given over to Benjamin, and and I think one of the reasons for that was the lack of um, ability of Judah to be able to take these cities. Now it's reassigned to another tribe. That was yeah, a couple yeah, chapters ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, well, I think I think that kind of idea that that Judah is is kind of given like a whole lot and, and maybe even kind of like too much, right. you know, for for their britches. Kind of. I mean, I think you get that idea yeah. later when when Simeon's mentioned, right? Actually, the text explicitly says that that Simeon's given a a portion among uh, Judah, and it actually right. just says there, right, mm -hmm. uh, because the portion of the people of Judah was too large for them, right? right. So it's like they went out there and they're like, guys, this is a lot of land. Like, you know, and you, you put us right next to the Edomites. So can we get some, you know, backup or something, right? So there's a, there's a practical reason there. Yeah. Yes. So I, th I think there are practical reasons, as you're saying, but it's interesting too. I, I, there seems to be a, a prophetic reason here mm -hmm. too. And, and that goes back, so I'm, I've, we have mentioned this less, but I was mentioning it earlier today here. The, besides Genesis 49, 
right? Which which doesn't really tell us uh, too much of anything about what happens to Benjamin. I think 49 says something like, uh, you know, he's like a ravenous wolf or something. It yes. doesn't really help us geographically. I'm sure there were wolves everywhere, uh, <laughs> right? The, the shepherd imagery, right? right. Um, but in Deuteronomy chapter 33, we get this really interesting comment uh, for, for Benjamin in Moses' blessing to Benjamin where he says, the beloved of the Lord dwells in safety. The high God surrounds him all day long and dwells between his shoulders. Mm-hmm. A very, very interesting blessing uh, of, and I think you're already hinting at this, and so we'll just kind of, we'll save it still. The part about God mm, dwelling between Benjamin's shoulders, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so, okay, we're going to get there, right? Yes. There's, a, there's a very special, special uh, thing going on about this territory. It's small, but it's got a couple of really big things going on inside of it. And but, some things very big are going to happen. For, yes, right, for right, instance, right. So, so yeah. <laughs> for instance, the first king of Israel will be from the tribe of Benjamin. Yeah. Uh, yep. And there's another guy in the New Testament who is named after that very same king, Saul, and we know him as Saul of Tarsus or Saint Paul, also from the tribe of Benjamin. Right. Yes. So just because it's small, right, doesn't mean it's unimportant. Remember, they were the ones who sketched out these seven allotments. And so they, they like all agreed, like, okay, this is a small allotment, but because of like the importance of this allotment, like it's still worth it. it right. Like whoever gets this is not going to feel shortchanged not at all. because it, it's got so much going on for it. Um, so we're going to, we're going to get to exactly what, what's inside it a little bit more detail, but before we get there, just, what it says there um, in that prophecy or that blessing that Moses just uh, you know uttered dwells in safety and God surrounds him. Well, check it out. Who does Benjamin have backing him up, right? Who are his wingmen, right? It's Joseph and Judah. He has the yes. two largest and most powerful tribes of, of Israel, right, right, to his north and south. I mean, talk about dwelling securely, dwelling in safely, as Moses blessed him, right? You couldn't ask for a safer inheritance among the people of Israel, and um, and it's just and it's just kind of beautiful poetry here because on the north side, right, Benjamin has his older brother Joseph, mm-hmm. who of course was protective of him and loved him and wanted to t- take care of him, right? And to the south, there's Judah. And if we remember the story of Joseph, Judah was actually. Uh, one of the, one of the, I mean, really the brother who spoke up when they were all making their plots, who was trying to kind of finagle some kind of like, hey, maybe we shouldn't kill him, right? You know, mm-hmm. guys, maybe we should back off the, 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 the kind of like the getting our hands in blood idea, right? And then yeah. later, he's the one who offers to exchange his life for Benjamin's to take his place in Egypt. So, I mean, he's got his brothers who protect him on both sides. It's it's just kind of like everything just fits together beautifully in that respect. And uh, when you go forward in the story about uh, King Saul, he even says that he comes from the smallest tribe of Israel. Yeah, that's right. But but a pretty sweet spot to have a small inheritance. Oh, like yes. a, lot of, a lot of good things going on for it. Okay. I know we're already like on our last like six or seven minutes here. So let me go ahead. Sure. I'll, I'll read uh, the rest of the chapter here. But then you can get to some of these kind of big, 
uh, juicy highlights we've been like hinting at yes. like left and right here. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, so some familiar place names, Bethel, Adaroth, Adar, right? These are like, you know, okay, it's sharing a border with Ephraim. Okay, okay. So here we are then in verse, what is it, 14? Yes. Then the boundary goes in another direction, turning on the western side southward from the mountain that lies to the south opposite Beth Horon, and it ends at Kiriath Baal, that is Kiriath Jerim, a city belonging to the people of Judah. This forms the western side. And the southern side begins at the outskirts of Kiriath Jerim, and the boundary goes from there to Ephron, to the spring of the waters of Nephtoah. Then the boundary goes down to the border of the mountain that overlooks the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is at the north end of the valley of Rephaim. And it then goes down the valley of Hinnom, south of the shoulder of the Jebusites, and downward to Enrogel. Then it bends in a northerly direction going on to Enshemesh, and from there it goes to Geloloth, which is opposite the ascent of Andumim. Then it goes down to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben, and passing on to the north of the shoulder of Beth Arabah, it goes down to the Arabah. Then the boundary passes on to the north of the shoulder of Beth Haglah, and the boundary ends at the northern bay of the Sea of the Salt Sea, at the south end of the Jordan. This is the southern border. The Jordan formed its boundary on the eastern side. This is the inheritance of the people of Benjamin, according to their clans, boundary by boundary, all around. Now, the cities of the tribe of the people of Benjamin, according to their clans, were Jericho, Beth Haglah, Emek Keziz, Beth Arabah, Zemaraim, Bethel, Avim, Parah, Ophrah, Kephramoni, Ophni, Geba, 12 cities with their villages. Gibeon, Ramah, Baroth, Mizpeh, Kephirah, Mozah, Rechem, Yerpeel, Taralah, Zilah, Halef, Jebus, that is Jerusalem, Gibeah, and Kiriath-Jerim, 14 cities with their villages. This is the inheritance of the people of Benjamin according to its clans. So right at the end there, There's some of those the should have been ringing a bell, right? <laughs> There's the surprise. Jebus, right. Jerusalem. Um, once again, let me go back to the end of chapter 15 when they talked about the allotment of the tribe of Judah. The last verse in chapter 15 says, But the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, could not drive out. So the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. I get the impression, yep. as I hinted before, that uh, Benjamin got the inheritance of Jerusalem now so they could accomplish what Judah did not. Right. Yeah, that, that's right. And, and, and isn't and that this something? Is the holy you know, it city. says Jebus. That's right. It says Jebus there. I mean, that, that root is Jebusite, basically, right? Yes. And so, I mean, so there it is. I mean, right now it's not called Jerusalem, right? Right now it's called Jebus because other people have it. Mm-hmm. But it's just like you were saying, right? Even though it's this small little territory, it is going to come to have the holy city of Jerusalem. And the other half of that prophecy blessing of Moses, right? Right. That the high God dwells between his shoulders. It's going to be a small inherit a small inheritance, but it gets Jerusalem. It gets the temple in the end. Mm-hmm. And uh and there's the inheritance. Uh and there is so much we can say about Jerusalem to this very day. That is right. the sacred city. 
and, and, and what a blessing that was for the tribe of Benjamin. It wasn't that way yet, but as the story of, uh, of Jerusalem will go on, you will see how important that is, starting with right. the reign of King David. Right, exa- exactly. And I, and I like the way that you, <clears throat> you already connected this, right, to Saul. It's like the first, the first king, right, the, who, who bears the, the name Messiah, anointed one, right, mm-hmm. comes from this tribe. Uh, later on, you know, Saul of Tarsus, right, who is what he, isn't it interesting, right, you know, comes from this, this smallest of, of the tribes. Um, he calls himself the least of the apostles, right? Right. And in a lot of ways, I feel like Paul kind of embodies uh, the church, right? Which he, uh, which the Lord through him planted mm-hmm. so much of, right? That here is this idea, you know, here Benjamin, he's being promised Jerusalem. I mean, he doesn't have it yet, but, you know, he has the blessing that when he does get Jerusalem, it's going to be amazing. And so similarly, we, you know, as the church, in some ways we are, we are the small little guy, right. In between like these, these powers, right. But the heavenly Jerusalem has been promised and in some ways it's already ours, but when we've come into full possession of it, wow. It will be beyond our comprehension as Jerusalem, my happy home says in the hymnal. Amen. Amen. So, so in, in many ways, Benjamin just hinting ahead uh, to what the, this image of the church, right? Small by appearances, like the mustard seed, right? Like our Lord said in his teaching, right? Mm-hmm. But growing to be the largest of all the trees so that all the animals of the earth come there, right? I mean, it's it starts off small here for Benjamin, but it's going to get so much bigger. And, and what a beautiful picture of the church of our Lord Jesus. Absolutely. So uh, thank you so much, brother. You know, it's one of these chapters where a, a lot of names, but there's so much going on here. And I thank you for breaking it down for us today. You're very welcome. God's blessings on your day. Thank you, brother. You too. Looking forward to having you back, everybody. That was Pastor Doug Nicely, pastor of Jerusalem, fitting name right, Lutheran Church in Collins Hill, Illinois. Thanks for joining us today. Moving on to Joshua chapter 19 next time. So all the rest of these, uh, the remaining six, boom, 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 all in rapid succession. And there's a lot going on there. So don't skip it over just because it's a bunch of names. Next time, we're going to have that. Until then, I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.